Three, two, one. Hit it. What? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with some of these people. I just, Put down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, uh, would you rather? All right, trust me, take no, my but advice. Seriously, that legit happened. <clears throat> Hello, namaste, shalom, and welcome to <laughs> Nervous Habits. Um, this is the pilot episode, so we're we're looking to latch on with a network near you. Um, I am your host, Ricky Rosen. Get used to my voice. It's uh, you know predominantly what you're going to be hearing on this pod. Is it pod or is it cast? We'll call it a pod. And essentially, this is a pod about you know everything. I mean, here at Nervous Habits, we are going to defy structure and convention. All right, we are going to be movers and shakers. I might just go off on a tangent, you know, about why Fight Club is the most overrated movie in the modern era. And don't worry, I'll get there in a future episode. Maybe I'll I'll throw in a, a random joke, um, like a like a profound joke. All right, so a masochist asks a sadist, "Please hurt me." The sadist replies, no. If you like your podcast organized in like a, a neat stack of Jenga blocks where each segment is roughly the same amount of time, then this probably isn't for you and you should go listen to one of those other educational pods out there about building your investment portfolio or why eating a big breakfast will definitely help you lose weight. But if you prefer like a disorganized array of Jenga blocks that can topple at any minute with just – the right motion, then absolutely nervous habits will be for you. Um, before I introduce myself in the podcast, I am contractually obligated <laughs> to let you know that we do have a Gmail account. Uh, it's nervous habits podcast at gmail.com. And by the way, by we, I mean me. This is just this is just I, the singular, um, the first person. That's nervous habits podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to write me with Questions, concerns, annoyances, criticism, feedback, um, comments, you know, book me dinner reservations at some upscale restaurant I could never afford, uh, sign me up for Christian Mingle, Craigslist, whatever you want to do, you know, obviously I'll just spam it if it's, um, if it's not important. Um, we don't have social media yet uh, for all you addicts out there, but we'll be on Twitter and Instagram in the coming weeks. Again, I, I keep saying we um, have it. Uh, a nervous, <laughs> nervous habit. Uh, also, side note: this pod is not monetized. So, if you hate listening to those ads for fitted jeans and you know how to design your own website, you don't have to worry about any of that because I don't exactly have advertisers, you know, knocking down my door. For now, we good. So, who am I? Uh, I'm again Ricky Rosen. Uh, let me get my resume out here. No, I, I, I am a former. Cashier at Dunkin' Donuts, uh, you know, nursing home volunteer, pet store employee, bird lab assistant, waiter, intern, college bookstore employee, consultant, bureaucrat, paralegal, amateur radio broadcaster, actor, comedian, case manager. I wish I was making this stuff up, but I'm sure in the coming months you're going to hear endearing little vignettes from me about each of these life experiences. So I'm not going to waste time with that now. Um, what is interesting about a podcast is it's super intimate, you know, so. You and I are going to become great friends, uh, whether you like it or not. You're going to learn a lot about me, and hopefully through email and social, um, I'm going to learn a lot about you guys too. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to do a podcast for a long time. 
I'm an opinionated guy. Uh, I have a lot to say, as, as I'm sure you um, are, are learning very quickly, particularly when it comes to issues I'm passionate about. Um, I'm just amazed it's taken me so long to do this. So, you know, let that be proof to all you kids out there that you should never give up on your dreams, even when you're, you know, the ripe old age of 26. Um, in terms of what the podcast is going to cover, you know, most podcasts out there, and, and there's there's millions, everyone and their mother has a podcast these days, they specialize in one thing, whether that be, you know, uh, dating uh, for men or women or reality te- television or football. I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, I want a podcast that focuses on all my passions. So, yeah, there's going to be fitness and nutrition. There'll be dating. There'll be TV and movies, baseball and sports, politics and technology and psychology, the whole shebang. Um, if you also have a diverse array of interests, that's great news. You know, you can jump on the ADD train with me. If you're not interested in some of those things, just feel free to to monopolize that fast forward button, that skip button, and you can jump around as well. We're going to have some guests on, okay? Not every week, uh, but from time to time, I'll bring on folks in my life who can add a little flavor to the conversations will be happening. You know, I can't promise Elon Musk or uh, Malcolm Gladwell, but who knows, you know? <laughs> for now, um, uh, you're going to have to settle for my... Uh, you know, pyramid scheme, investment finance buddies, and and uh, medical school friends. Um, I do want this to be interactive, so you know that email address. Write it down, or just remember Nervous Habits Podcast. Give me feedback. You know, do I say yeah, but too much? Do I say you know too much? Is my voice really nasally or too high pitched? Are none of my jokes funny? Um, am I single? Should I cancel this podcast immediately? Again, this is a pilot, so who knows? Um, I do wonder, are most podcasts scripted? You know, because I don't really operate based on a script. I'm pretty stream of consciousness, just shooting my thoughts in, into the abyss with no filter. Um, it can be kind of intimidating to do a podcast with just one person, but I figure it'll be like a marathon. Just go as long as I can. I'll stop for water. Um, you know, I'll post about it on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> whether you're listening to this in your car, on the subway, walking to work, doing laundry, just, you know, relax. We will laugh together. We'll cry together. We'll learn together. Uh, if I sneeze or burp mid-sentence, you guys might have to roll with it. And I did promise you um, earlier, you know, when I was introducing myself, we'd get into the meaning of life too. Um, you know, one of my favorite books, Man's Search for Meaning, actually has some great perspective on this. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, it's the memoir of uh, psychiatrist Viktor Frankl. So he's writing about his life in uh, the Nazi death camps dur- during the Holocaust and there's really nothing I could say about the book that could do it justice. Um, but Frankel's language is so visceral. You know, he's writing about the soul-destroying mental conflict and um, – let me get the quote. The soul-destroying mental conflict and clashes of willpower that a famished man experiences. But seriously, humor me for a second. This guy found a way in literally the darkest time in human history to find salvation. Um, you know, he writes that suffering is – you know, a mission. It's his destiny to suffer, and he will have to accept suffering as his task. Um, no one can relieve him of his suffering or suffer in his place. And his unique opportunity lies in the way in which he bears his burden. So, just goes to show you that in any circumstance, you can find the light, and it's all about perspective. Um, and we'll talk lot, lots, of, lots more about uh, existentialism and logotherapy in the next few months. But only fitting that I start out this podcast with one of my all-time favorite books books 
So I know I said that the show would be disorganized chaos, but it will have some semblance of order because let's be honest, nobody wants to listen to me word vomit all over the place, you know, for 45 minutes or wherever this ends up as. Um, so I do want to discuss a handful of topics, things that are relevant or, you know, important to, to me or to you guys, things I'm passionate about, uh, you know, talking about on Nervous Habits. Um, this week, we will have three main topics I want to cover. Uh, first... Why protein is the most important macronutrient and how the hell anyone can get that recommended daily amount. Uh, what the hell was happening in Washington during the shutdown and how many of those fast food burgers President Trump, a.k.a. the doctor in chief, consumed before the college kids showed up. And finally, what's worth your time on Netflix and why you should avoid binging TV shows at all costs. Nervous habits. So, first things first. Protein, 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 protein. Um, probably been hearing a lot about protein. Uh, you know, probably mostly uh, positive things. You know, the, the diet culture is always shifting. One week it's, you know, you should avoid carbs at all costs. The next is carb up before your workout. You know, same thing with fats. Um, to give you some, some background here, my diet used to be absolute crap. Uh, my mom, you know, love you, mom. Fed me takeout every night, you know, didn't get a ton of home-cooked meals as a kid. Or if I did, they just, you know, there weren't weren't a lot of vegetables, uh, a, a lot heavy on the carbs. So when I lived on a college campus, um, my dinner was usually like an Asian chicken wrap. And that's not like a, a racial stereotype. That's actually what it was called on campus, Asian chicken wrap uh, and French fries every night. And when I moved into my own apartment senior year, I was, I was literally eating frozen corn dogs for dinner. Uh, and it was only when I moved to New York City that, uh, you know, I started lifting and everything that I realized how important it was to eat healthier, right? Like most of my adult life, it was just carbs, as I mentioned. Give me donuts, pizza, potato chips, and I'll be happy as a pig and shit, okay? Um, but then I started to learn about protein. Uh, really, it coincided with when I started lifting and I realized carbs were only – carbs are really only useful for energy, right? Like before a big lift – your body needs carbs to power you. Otherwise, it'll start burning through your muscle. And the thing is, for all you listeners out there who don't live in New York City, uh, I would say there's something about living in New York. Everyone, I think it's a cultural thing. Everyone goes to the gym. Everyone eats healthy. I mean, if you don't shop at Whole Foods or, or Trader Joe's, or it's it just becomes uh, kind of a, a thing, right? So all that in mind, you know, with all that being said, I, I started learning about uh, you know, different macronutrients. And just in case you're not like a budding nutritionist or an armchair physician like me, like me, as my med school friend likes to call me, protein is an example of a macronutrient. So macronutrients are the things your body needs in large amounts to sustain itself. So essentially like protein, fat, fiber, and carbs are the four main ones. And we're going to talk lots about fiber, the for forgotten, forsaken macro. Um, in a future episode. And then, of course, there's micronutrients, uh, which are like vitamins, minerals, um, antioxidants, uh, the things that we need in smaller amounts. So magnesium, iron, zinc. If you ever turn around the, the back of the, the cereal box and you see all that stuff that goes in there, um, those are the micronutrients. I didn't think, to be honest, I didn't think micronutrients were important for a long time. I would look at all these people taking their multivitamins and uh, bragging about, you know, how many, um, you know, uh, how healthy they were with all their micros. And I was just kind of laughing their faces like, huh, that, you know, 
I'm eating my donuts and and my uh, my Taco Bell and and I'm living large over here. But you know, it turns out if you look at the literature that micronutrient deficiencies can lead to faster a- aging and breakdown of our DNA. Um, and of course, if you're you know 19, 20 years old, you're not going to know that's happening until later in life. Uh, whereas with macronutrient deficiencies, right, like if you're eating too much too much uh, too much fat or too much too many carbs, not enough protein or fiber, you will see the impacts really quickly. So. As I said, we'll talk about micronutrients in a later podcast, um, and we'll talk about fiber lots, but just want to delve into protein for a sec, because protein is arguably the most important macronutrient. And again, you know, your body needs protein for a bunch of reasons, and <laughs> I'm talking like like uh, like a medical expert here, um, and I wish, you know, we had someone on here who, who could lend some credence to this, but all this information is, is out there, it's accessible, um, on you know, if you go on uh, the uh, any, re- any any medical website, WebMD or the Mayo Clinic, they'll tell you I'm not I'm not feeding you any fake news here. But your body needs protein to build and repair tissues, to build muscle um, and bones and skin, and it's particularly important if you're into fitness. You can't really build muscle if you're not consuming enough protein. And in terms of how much you need a day, I think the equation's like. 0.8 grams of protein for every kilogram of body weight. So roughly 56 grams a day for a man and 46 grams a day for a woman. That's kind of like, that's kind of abstract. That's tough to, to visualize, right? So if you take like a hard boiled egg, right? Maybe you'll have a hard boiled egg with your breakfast. That's six grams of protein. Um, and a boneless, skick, uh, <laughs> a boneless, skinless chicken breast would be, I think like 30, 32 ounces. So... As long as you're, you know, eating foods like that, I mean, it's generally meat that's the best option for protein. If you want to forego saturated fats, um, there are better options or, you know, better, it's subjective, but you could eat uh, quinoa. It's, it's a superfood. Uh, fun fact, not pronounced quinoa. Um, it's the little, uh, looks like, looks like Dippin' Dots, but it's, it's not ice cream. It's, um... It's one of those like millennial foods. So quinoa, nuts, milk, Greek yogurt, chickpeas, tofu, peanut butter. Seafood is really good for protein. I do not like seafood because it smells. And um, my roommate knows this, you know, because whenever he, uh, you know, cooks seafood, I dash out of the apartment quicker than George Costanza flee in a kid's birthday party. Um, That's a... It's a Seinfeld reference. Get used to it. Going to be making a lot of those on, on nervous habits. But, you know, even I'll admit that seafood's an excellent fo- uh, source of protein. You know, uh, in terms of, like, salmon, for example, I think it's like 40 grams of protein in half a filet of salmon. Uh, three or four ounces of, of cooked yellowfin tuna is 26 grams of protein. So if you're a man, you need that 56 grams, um, you know, have – Two, you know, six ounces of, of tuna, two pieces of tuna, and you'll get that, right? And by the way, those numbers are for sedentary men and women. We'll get to active men and women in a sec. But the moral of the story is make sure you're getting your 40 to 50 pro, uh, grams of protein a day. If you're a vegetarian, it can be tough. And, you know, I, I love animals, and I wish I had the self-control and the discipline not to eat meat. Um... It's tough. You know, there's a trade-off for sure, but vegetarians struggle because, 
you know, if, if you don't eat any of the food, any of the meats I mentioned, any of the seafoods, you're limited with what you can have. So that's, um, you know, that's for sedentary people. Now, if you're lifting, right, if you, then the equation changes a little bit. So you really should do one gram of protein per one kilogram of body weight. That's like 100 grams of protein for a 150-pound man. And now, now you got to be thinking, you know, if one hard-boiled egg is six grams, how am I supposed to get 100 grams of protein, right? Uh, and don't, aren't you going to get tired of just eating grilled chicken? And I mean, to be honest with you, what's what's a little perplexing for me is I have friends who literally will throw a piece of grilled chicken on a skittle, uh, skittle, <laughs> skittle, who will throw uh, a piece of grilled chicken on a skillet every night, just dab it with some salt and pepper, and you know, and that's a meal, right? Like that makes me want to gag. I need to flavor it up. I need to add lemon and garlic and breadcrumbs, what have you. But the key with getting enough protein for lifters is diversification. Um, is you know not just sticking to meat, but also making sure you have your nuts and you have your um, tofu or, or, or you know seafood. Uh, and if you are sticking to meat, poultry is great, but you get you get sick of grilled chicken. So once in a while, red meat's not going to kill you. And if it does, I'm not a doctor anyway, so um, <laughs> so I'm not legally responsible. But no, but seriously, that that's uh, that's important is diversifying. Uh, the protein intake and also protein supplements are huge, right? So like if you are lifting uh, whey protein shakes are super clutch, right? That's another 20 to 40 grams of protein if you go with one or two scoops. So let's say like a hypothetical protein rich day would be you wake up, you know, you have a couple eggs for breakfast um, on some whole grain toast. Let's ballpark that all together like 12, 15 grams of protein. Then you have uh, grilled chicken wrap uh, for lunch. Let's say you get one chopped up chicken breast in there. That's another like 20 grams. So now we're at 35 grams of protein. You have uh, some, I don't know, ground turkey for dinner or some salmon. That's another 30 to 40 grams of protein. So now we're at what, uh, 65, 70 grams. And then you just have your, your protein shake and you're anywhere from 90 to 110. So that's like an example of how you can construct your day. And, you know, we'll be talking a lot about nutrition and, and, you know, potential meals and things like that in the coming weeks, but definitely kind of want to start out. This is the bare bones, you know, pun intended there, uh, making sure that you guys and, you know, everybody knows like protein, protein is important. You know, if you, if you just decide not to eat any protein, let's say for a month you were like no meat, no seafood, no tofu, just protein fast, you know, 2019, it'd be tough. It'd be tough. You'd be out here looking like uh, Christian Bale in The Machinist, you know, when he gets really uh, really skinny or Jake Gyllenhaal in, in Nightcrawler. Oh, yeah, get used to the, the movie references, by the way, because those are, those are going to be a plenty. Um, so, yeah, so that's, you know – that's that's protein. Now, kind of shifting gears a little bit. Unless you live under a rock, all right, Patrick Starr, stand up. You know about the government shutdown that's been happening, um, or I guess it's over now, right? It's It was the longest in America's history, almost, I think, like six weeks. And I don't know, like, if you don't really follow politics, let's say, you know, you're, you're working at, at a convenience store and... You know, you don't, you don't really, you're not really uh, invested in what's going on in the government. Let's say you're Cardi B, right? Like Cardi B's on, on Instagram now. I'm, um, you know, telling everyone to go to the gyno and, and get themselves checked out. So a lot of people might not be 
familiar with what's happening in, you know, in the government or like what, what the hell is a shutdown anyway? Like, does it mean that all the power goes out in Washington and, you know, you see like uh, Donald Trump is standing there with, with a candle, like spooked, you know, but a shutdown actually means Congress cannot agree on a budget and fails to appropriate funds. Um, so you might've seen the word furloughed. F-U-R-L-O-U-G-H-E-D. It's it's a very unusual word. For, for, it looks like fur left, fur fur logged. I mean, it could be could be anything, but essentially what it means is that the major agency employees that work for the federal government are sent home without pay, so they're they're not able to um to to serve their uh you know their duties. And you had, with this recent shutdown, about 400,000 non-critical employees from nine major agencies sent home without pay. So everything from agriculture to commerce to homeland security to transportation was affected. Um, And generally, this doesn't affect, you know, this doesn't trickle down into the life of the average middle class American, right? Like if... Someone in Homeland Security isn't able to work. How, how is that going to affect you if you're, you know, a uh, social media marketing manager working in a, a you know, a, a small metropolitan area in the Midwest, right? It's not going to affect you. But the shutdown went on for so long that you started to see uh, significant uh, airport delays, right? Because, you know, folks in the TSA weren't weren't able to, um, you know, to, to work. So... Um, that goes to show, you know, how significant this was. And if it did go on for longer, uh, you know, I think you would have seen that even more in terms of how people were affected. Now, the, the interesting uh, implication here is that events that were scheduled for, you know, for the calendar year still had to take place. I mean, so you had the, the Boston Red Sox, shout out to the Bo Sox, world champions, um, they were scheduled to, to, to come to the White House this month. They actually pushed it back to, I believe it was like March or April. Um, but the Clemson Tigers, the national champion um, college team, was scheduled to come to the White House. Now, when I said non-critical employees were sent home, that means, you know, all the folks that, that uh, cater official White House events, they weren't there. So President Trump, you've probably seen the, the memes <laughs> and the, the pictures. Ended up serving these, you know, 18, 19 year olds a ginormous fast food spread, right? You had Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King, um, and there were some great photos out there. If you haven't seen them, do yourself a favor. I would Google it. Um, and uh, <laughs> and you see President Trump almost like with jazz hands in front of a, a large, a long table with you have the burgers stacked up in each in each uh, corner, and then you have the French fries and the presidential seal. <laughs> Someone might have said there was pizza, like Domino's or Papa John's, and I don't know. Like I know we just did a whole segment on nutrition and health, but you know the the sixteen, seventeen year old version of myself was was just you know drooling looking at that photo. And you know President Trump, uh, you know he loves his fast food. You know that he uh, he's a big fan, big fan of that McDonald's. Um, you know we know that he stays fit. He's, Six foot, 239. I think he was called, his physician said, the healthiest man alive. Um, so six foot three, 239 pounds. Huh. For reference, okay, Jay Cutler is six foot three, 
231 pounds. Um, and Mike Trout is six foot two and 235 pounds. And those are professional athletes. Um, Jay Cutler obviously is an, an NFL player, and Mike Trout is major league baseball player. So President Trump not too far off, according to his um his physician. His physician. Uh, and by the way, that spread the the incredible fast food spread. I think I I think I read somewhere it cost like two thousand nine hundred eleven dollars, uh, which is actually kind of a bargain considering you're feeding like a hundred people and. You know, Trump never lets anyone forget that it came out of his own pocket. You know, he wasn't able to appropriate funds from the White House budget, so he dug deep into his pockets, you know, paid for that in spare change and nickels and dimes. Give me a break. Um, anyway, so, you know, just get back to the shutdown, right? So Trump uh, said that he wouldn't approve a budget without his $6, six billion wall included. Uh, and everyone knows about the wall. Wall. There's some good memes about that too, by the way. Um, but it kind of became like a game of chicken. You know, who would cave first? You had uh, political pressure from both sides. Even the Republicans were urging Trump, look, you got to reopen the government. You know, these their families that, um, you know, aren't receiving their paychecks and help these people get back to work. Then you had congressional leadership from the other side. Uh, Pelosi and Schumer, uh, you know, were exerting pressure. And... You know, really, for Donald Trump to withhold, um, you know, to keep to keep the government shut down in light of this was a a very problematic decision from a, a purely from a political strategy standpoint. And we could talk for hours about the uh, just the sheer lunacy and and in in the decisions that that uh, that Trump has made, but. Uh, we all know he doesn't even care about the wall. It's, it's really just rhetoric to galvanize his base, and he was elected on that. And practically speaking, uh, just in case you don't know, one-third of the U.S.-Mexico border actually already has a wall. And the, the Conservative Heritage Foundation uh, has said that a wall would hurt the economy overall, uh, overall, <laughs> overall, and the money would be better spent on technology and agents to prevent illegal crossing. So it makes absolutely no, no sense. It's, I think it's become like one of these things where Trump just doesn't want to admit that, that, he, that he messed up, right? He's, he's a man of, I don't even know if it's like pride or just like, like pathologically stubborn where, you know, he's never going to say, look, like I admit it, um, you know, the wall was a shitty idea, right? It's like, say for instance, you know, you, you go out with your friends and he buys you a drink, and the next day he he wants you to Venmo him for the drink. You're gonna deny until the end of time, right? Like I I paid for that drink. You didn't pay for that drink. I paid for the drink. And then years later, you're still arguing about it, just because it becomes like a a matter of pride. Like he didn't. You know, I, you don't want to admit that this entire time you were in the wrong. Um, it's it's almost like a a, a psychological defense mechanism, also. Um, but. You know, the bottom line is hundreds of thousands of families are out of work here, and they've been unpaid for six weeks. So the government shutdown ended up um, ended up ending. I mean, the government is reopening now. Uh, Donald Trump agreed to reopen the government without the wall. 
you know, he's lost support among his base. I was looking at a poll that came out in the last couple of days uh, put on by uh, ABC News and Washington Post, and it shows that his presidential job approval rating is at 37%. That's, that's got to be, like, among the lowest ever. But get this. It fell 13 points during the shutdown, okay? So, you know, he he puts on this, this, uh, this elaborate uh, presentation about shutting down the government in order to make a stand and border security and, and get what he wants from the Democrats, and it ended up hurt. It, it ended up hurting him, and you know, I think that as and we're going to talk a lot about this in the coming weeks on on nervous habits and maybe really in the coming months. But just as kind of an aside, when we talk about politics, we. It, it, it's rough because we live in a in a very divisive time. Everyone's got an opinion, and with Twitter and Instagram and you know podcasts like this, people have outlets to express their views, and and that's fine, right? Like, I I have to I, you know I have to say though, just just it's the pilot episode. Want to make sure we're we're you know putting all our cards on the table here. Um, you really need to be respectful in your discourse, right? Like, let's not let's not. You know, follow the the example set by the president. Let's not resort to to name calling to arguments ad hominem. If you disagree with what I'm saying, you know you can you can make a counter argument. Argue with the facts. Argue with you know the the uh, the substance. But you don't you know atta- you don't attack someone personally or, or make any sort of um, you know remarks about their background or things like that. And you know I feel like <laughs> I feel like this is this is like the first day of camp where we're setting the ground rules, we're signing the you know the form, parental permission. But it really needs to be said, you know, because it's it, we're living in such a, a nasty like like despicable time where there's really no. Um, you know, nothing that can't be, nothing that's off limits anymore, right? Like, I mean, you saw that during the campaign when, you know, and, and a lot of it, look, I want to I want to be objective and level-headed here, but 99% of it was coming from President Trump, um, you know, when he was attacking, uh, you know, folks' gender and, and background and disabilities and, and race. And, you know, I think that we're better than that. And I saw something good on Twitter a while back, and it, it, I, I want to share it. it. It said, uh, there's nothing great about the America that Trump thinks he is going to make, but in the end, it is the greatness of America that will stop him. You know, and it, 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 it's, I, I think that that's a very telling quote, right? Like, w- when you look at why President Trump was elected and the anger and resentment of, you know, folks in, in the blue-collar working class in the, middle, in the Midwest, um, you know, and, and why they they rallied behind his call to populism. I think that, and and I don't want to get into this too too much because we will be covering the the 2020 election in the future. But I think that that it's important to realize this isn't who we are. It doesn't have to be who we are. You know, and uh, there is a lot to say about the administration. Um, I don't. I want to. I want to be as impartial as possible. Um, you know, write write me with your comments, uh, even if you are on a different page. You know, feel free to write me, and and we can. You know, we can discuss this. But good news is, shutdown's over. Um, President Trump, uh, Donald, the the daughter in chief, gonna be able to eat all the Wendy's, Burger King he wants, but uh, taxpayer money from now on. Okay, now. I'm going to be talking about TV a lot on this podcast. I am a big, big 
television and movie guy. All you have to do is check my Twitter feed if you want to um, see me praising or dumping on TV and movies. By the way, that's at uh, RickyR513. If you want to check that out, throw me some favorites, um, some follows on Twitter. But, all, you know, when I watch TV, I always need a drama and a comedy to watch simultaneously. That's just, you know, the way I am for two reasons. Number one, you won't always be in the mood to watch dark, heavy shows. You know, sometimes you just want to curl up on your couch and and laugh, you know, watch something super light. And number two, I like to watch TV while I eat dinner and certain shows like Westworld or Game of Thrones, you literally cannot watch while you eat because when you lean down, you lean over, take your eye off the screen for one second to take a bite of your grilled chicken, okay, because we're eating healthy, you're going to miss a huge series-altering plot. It's almost like when you're driving, you cannot take your eyes off the road. Um, so, you know, that's why I like to watch comedy so you can half pay attention while, while you nibble on your chicken. And a drama you can watch later with 100% of your focus. Okay. So on the drama front, I watched uh, that show You on Netflix, which was right up my alley, right? Like romance, check. Drama, check. Psychological thriller, check. Really gripping. Um, kind of felt like American Psycho meets uh, Gone Girl or, or Dexter. Um, if you haven't seen the trailer, which, which I feel like everyone has because it's all over Netflix – uh, it's essentially Penn Badgley, who's who was on Gossip Girl, which I didn't watch. Uh, <laughs> I promise I didn't watch that. Um, Penn Badgley plays this guy who becomes obsessed with this really bland girl. Her, her name is is Beck, and it, it it's one of those like almost Lifetime esque uh, shows where he begins stalking her and and trying to maneuver his way into her life and uh, doing all these other terrible things. So it's you know I, I know I'm I'm not selling it but it, it's much better than i thought it would be and Penn badgley who plays the lead joe really terrific um i liked shay mitchell a lot she plays peach salinger the daughter of jd salinger and i'm not just saying that because you know she's drop dead gorgeous um writing was superb uh I, I felt like it did a good job of of um you know bringing the social media like generation you know, onto the screen, which a lot of shows struggle with. Uh, so like that a lot. Um, definitely recommend it. And, you know, I, I, sh- I should note that I don't believe in binging TV shows, particularly dramas. I mean, comedy, that's another can of worms. But here's what I tell my friends. When you binge a show, I feel like you lose the ability to reflect on it or you're robbed of that anticipation of, of what comes next, especially like like a season finale, right? Like let's say you're watching Breaking Bad, which is inarguably the greatest show ever, and you decide, hell, I'm going to binge the entire thing, 100 hours, not sleeping, Red Bull on Red Bull, whatever. You wouldn't have the excitement and suspense of wondering, you know, is Walt going to kill Gus or who poisoned Brock or is Hank going to find out? You won't be able to like to go online between episodes to share your theories or make predictions or or analyze, um, you know, or, or spot those Easter eggs that the Vince Gilligan places in there. I feel like when you binge, you lose that, right? Like some things in life are are meaningful and enjoyable because of the frequency with which they occur. Um, you know, like like a, a kiss on New Year's, right? Like like let's imagine if if you you know every every night at midnight or or once a week, you just you shared a kiss and you, you counted that. It just wouldn't it would take all the luster away from it. 
So, you know, that being said, I don't think that's how TV was meant to be made. And when I was a kid, back in the early 90s, you actually had to wait a week between shows, all right? And it was painful, but it was worth it, you know? And um, I just, I, that's why I don't binge dramas. And a lot of people, you know, they, they accept binging as a bad of honor, a bad, a bad, a bad badge of honor. It's like, oh, you know, I, I binged um, Game of Thrones in, in like a week. And number one, you know, who, who has time to do that? Do you have a job? And number two, like, I just, I feel like my level of understanding of the show would be a lot more nuanced than yours. So anyway, that, that's my spiel on binging. Um, if you disagree, you know, shoot me an email, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com, but I don't binge. Anyways, so back to the dramas. Once I finished You, I got into Ozark. Uh, that's another show on, on Netflix. And I mentioned Breaking Bad. This is literally Breaking Bad light. Like if Breaking Bad were a five-star steakhouse, okay? Um, if it were, uh, you know, in any of those elite steakhouses uh, in the city, Delmonico's, for example, Ozark would literally be the steak sandwich from Arby's. All right, tastes good, does the job. But when you're finished with it, you're wondering if you could have done something better with your $6.50. Um, look, Ozark is fine. Jason Bateman, he's okay. Julia Gardner is, is pretty compelling. But the, the series just doesn't hook me the way that other shows have. You know, I'm not invested in the characters. I, I can't really take Jason Bateman seriously as a drama actor. Much like, if you guys remember, when Jonah Hill got super skinny. Um, and now he's got all these, like, mopey parts. He's always just going to be the chubby kid from Superbad, and that's Bateman. He'll always be that jerk from Horrible Bosses. I think the show has potential um, in the t the theme and the subject matter and the tone, but it's for now it's just something to watch, you know, to keep me busy until shows like Black Mirror or <clears throat> Westworld or Better Call Saul make new episodes. Um, one last note. On uh, you know recommendations on Netflix before I turn to comedy, uh, you guys might have heard that Ted Bundy documentary just just came out on Netflix. Um, I saw the first episode. If you don't know, if you haven't heard of Ted Bundy, uh, which I don't think everyone has, I asked my coworker if he heard of him. He said uh, he said like, oh, is that is that like a uh, is that like a like an actor in, in Hollywood? So I was surprised. But if you haven't heard of of Bundy. He's actually one of the most famous serial killers ever, or, or infamous is, is the better term. Um, <clears throat> killed anywhere from 30 to 100 women in the 70s and 80s across the country. Uh, and there's a range because he was uh, like convicted. He was proven to have killed 30, and then uh, some published estimates go up to 100 depending on crimes that haven't been solved yet. But for many of these women um, and – I hope there's no children listening to Nervous Habits, at least some episodes. I should probably, like, include viewer discretion is advised. But for some of these women, he would literally break into their residences, you know, bludgeon them with a, you know, a, a pipe or, or uh, a metal object, bludgeon them to death while they were sleeping. And the guy would actually perform sexual acts on the, the decomposing corpses. Um, 
So he was convicted, received something like three death sentences, and was executed in 89. The documentary is so chilling that Netflix warned you that you shouldn't watch it alone. So, like, for what it's worth, yes, that's a an A-plus marketing um, ploy, but the first episode was pretty scary. You know, hearing that guy uh, speak in a, in a, a calm, normal, uh, you know, manner, it's it's... And and that was Bundy's shtick, right? He was he was super charming, and uh, it's it was tough to a lot of women just didn't believe that that he was capable of that. And I think Ted Bundy's like like a fad right now because Zac Efron, you know, from High School Musical and Baywatch, <clears throat> he's going to be playing him in another movie, right? I think it's called uh, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Um, and the trailer, if you look on YouTube, the trailer has like a very weird tone. Like you would think, you know, the, the most infamous serial killer, this documentary is coming out, did all this, um, you know, inflicted all this suffering on hundreds of families. You would think it'd be a, a serious, uh, like introspective production. It's almost like a raunchy comedy with Zac Efron. He's like winking at people and like, like the judge, it's, it's a weird vibe. Um, so I, I, that, that's neither here nor there, but uh, documentary is cool. You should check it out. Um, and in terms of comedies, because I mentioned always want a drama and a comedy. Right now, I am really into Curb Your Enthusiasm. And full disclosure, like initially before I saw Curb, I just, I just didn't get it. I didn't get the Larry David obsession. I didn't get like – like it, it would. It sounded like a weird show. Like I, I, it's hard to articulate. But I, I wasn't a fan. I, you know, I'm, I mentioned I'm very opinionated, and I come to these conclusions. I wasn't a curb fan. And then I, then I got hooked on Seinfeld. Um, if you haven't seen Seinfeld, you really have to give it a chance. You know, I remember I used to have Seinfeld reruns on in, in you know, on my bedroom. It was just on Fox or whatever NBC. Um, in the background, and I would see George Costanza with his 70s glasses and Jerry Seinfeld with his ill-fitting 80s dress shirts, and I'd bitch about, why would anyone watch this show? These guys are such losers. Like, this this is a waste of time. But then, you know, I got talked into it by a couple guys, and, and it's actually hilarious, Seinfeld. You know, George's neuroticism is amazing. Um, it really, really great for nervous habits, actually. You know, Georgie's getting upset! That, that kind of thing, or... Um, or, uh, Jerry, I can't do it anymore, you know, like that, that, uh, and that was actually based off of Larry David, all right, and you'll be hearing lots about Seinfeld, but right now, just, just real quick, Curb, Larry David, who produced Seinfeld, um, is sensational in Curb, all right, it's similar in tone to Seinfeld, but whereas Seinfeld focuses on just like the eight everyday things that happen in your life, it's a show about nothing, Curb is more concerned with awkward situations and elaborate misunderstandings that Larry gets into. It's like loosely based off his real life. Um, half the time, it's his fault. Either he's stubborn, resisting a social convention, or it's like <clears throat> it's an accident, just misfortune. Like at one point, I think he brings uh, he brings food out to his driver because he feels bad for him, and then he goes back in to, to bring out the utensils from the restaurant and he gets arrested for, for like for for theft, petty larceny or whatever. Um, so, like, okay, so here's the plot of one episode, for example. So, <laughs> Larry David 
bumps into a network executive's daughter at some dinner party. And she asks him to cut the hair of her doll's head. Um, so he does, and the girl cries to her mom, you know, it's not going to grow back. And so Larry, in order to fix the situation, takes the doll from his best friend Jeff's daughter, because she has the same doll, and he replaces the head of the girl's doll with Jeff's daughter's doll's head. Okay, everything's right with the world. Jeff's wife finds out, and she's demanding that the daughter get her doll back. Long story short, the episode ends in the bathroom of a movie theater. Okay, Larry had tried to sneak a bottle of water in. He puts it in his pants, and Jeff's daughter gives him a hug. You know, they're, they're making up, and then she runs out screaming. She says, Mommy, Mommy, that bald man's in the bathroom, and there's something hard in his pants. And Larry, and Larry just escapes through the bathroom window as, they, uh, as the credits roll. So, like, I'm not doing it justice, but the, the show really captures just the minutia. Um, and some of it's extreme. Like, nobody in their right mind would have that happen to them. But it's, it's, it's amazing. It, it, the episodes always end like that where they tie together different plots seamlessly. And, you know, what's actually most impressive about Curb, and I just learned this recently, the dialogue on the show is largely improvised. Right, so Larry, David, the, the producer, director, founder, whatever, will establish the plots and the actors will just wing it, right? I think it's like retrospectiving or something like that. Might be, might be called something else. But it's like, it's not like anything else on TV. So Curb, comedy for right now, um, and drama, Ozark, uh, that's, that's what's up. Um, <laughs> so time check, we are... We're like 40, 45, 45, 50 minutes. Um, not bad for a pilot podcast episode. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, next week we're going to be covering a lot more of these topics. Uh, we were heavy with uh, TV, politics, nutrition this week. Next week we'll be doing um, something a little different. We'll talk about why more of us should embrace Buddhism, how cell phone addiction has transformed and totally fucked up the entire world, and how to stop it. And whether the steroid bros, Barry Bonds, and Roger Clemens will ever make it into the elusive Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for, for bearing, you know, sticking this out with me, the pilot episode of Nervous Habits. Really excited to keep this going um, in the coming weeks, months. Uh, and, uh, yeah, keep it tuned in. Uh, shoot me that, those emails at nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you guys next time.